Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the latest episode of the Going Long Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. We are less than a week away from the season, and I'm thrilled to bring on a very special guest, the voice of the Ducks, Jerry Allen. He's been doing the play-by-play commentary for Oregon for decades now, and he's one of the most well-known guys in the world of Oregon sports. We're going to talk a little bit about his career in Eugene, some of the best moments, and look ahead to the 2023 season. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get into it. I am beyond thrilled to bring on Jerry Allen, the voice of the Ducks since 1987, one of the most popular men in the world of Oregon sports. Jerry, how are you today? I am doing very well. Good to be with you, man. It's kind of fun. It's here finally, huh? It's finally here. Yeah, we're just a few days away from starting your, I believe it's your 36th year as the play-by-play commentator for Oregon. Of course, (laughs) alongside color analyst Mike Jorgensen, a very close friend of mine. Um, 36 years, man. That's, that's a long time. How do you feel? How does it feel when I say that to you? Uh, hard to believe. I mean, I'll tell you, Zach, when I, when I got this job, um, there had been probably four or five, maybe even six play by play voices the probably 10 or 12 years before me. And, um, there was an article written in register guard because they'd gone through so many of them. They interviewed, uh, four or five of the guys and each one of them said to a man, Tell him to leave his bags packed. He won't be there that long uh, <laughs> because nobody had lasted. Um, so, yeah, to be here this long, I really I hope to be able to be the voice of the Ducks for five or ten years and and have some memories. But 36 or 37 years never entered my mind. Yeah, it's been a very incredible run. Um, eventually, I want to talk to you about this upcoming season and kind of get your thoughts on the Ducks in 2023. But before all of that, I want to talk a bit about your career and some of your favorite moments over the years. So obviously your, your most famous call is the pick from Kenny Wheaton back in 1994, you know, the most improbable finish to a football game. I would also say that your call in uh, 2010 after the civil war, you know, Oregon is going to the national championship game. I think that might be my favorite because there was just so much emotion in your voice and it hit home for so many long suffering Oregon fans at the time. I know you've been asked this to before to your pick your favorite memory or your favorite call. So I'm not going to ask you to do that because I know there's there's too many to count. But are there any others in your career that really stand out to where it's like, wow, I was I was really a part of history there. I helped write history there. Oh, you know, they, the very first game that I got to do was at Colorado with Bill Musgrave as the quarterback, and we didn't know that he was going to be the quarterback. And Todd McKim was my game analyst at that time. Georgie hadn't joined me yet. So we go back to, to Boulder, and I'm I'm nervous as a cat. I can't believe I'm getting ready to do an Oregon football game, and, and Oregon's the underdog. We're not supposed to win, and, and then we do. And, and that, that emotion of that first game, that win on the road, uh, against a really, really good Colorado team at the time is one of my first great memories. And, and then another another one where back in, gosh, this would have been probably 87, know, 89 maybe, right in that area. And you'll find as you talk with me, my years run together. I can't keep them straight. <laughs> but uh, Oregon had a non-conference game against Iowa back in Iowa. 
and it was their 100th century, 100th celebration, the centennial. And they picked a team that they knew they could beat so they could celebrate their 100 years. Musgrave became us the quarterback. We went back, and we ended up beating Iowa. And that was really special. But that was the first game, I think, that Georgia joined me. And he's an ex-duck quarterback. So he, he, he wears his heart on his sleeve when it comes to the games. So we're doing the game. And in the middle of the game, it's a third and long, maybe a fourth and long. But it's a critical moment in the game when Oregon is in a, in a spot in the field where they've got to get a first down or they're going to give it up. Must have been a fourth down. And, and they're going to go for it. So I'm like, okay, Jordan, here we go. Fourth down and three. Uh, big moment again. They cannot give Iowa field position. They have to get a first down here. If they don't, you know what happens. So what would you do? And I turned to look at him, and he was gone. <laughs> and I thought right away myself, okay, he's got to go take a leak. Okay, well, you got to go. You got to go. And so uh, they ran the play. Uh, got the first down, and I backed up. Went, All right, Ducks first down. And as I took, looked to my left, I see Georgie underneath the counter, hiding <laughs> because he's so nervous he can't watch the play. <laughs> and he oh stood up. Gosh. He stood up. And I said, "Hey, man. we went to a commercial break." And I said, "You know what? You can't do that anymore again. <laughs> you have to That's stand so and watch the play." So um, those. I mean, and then there's so many of them. The the uh, Gosh, we went down to, to Tempe and Joey Harrington, and we had so many of those guys that were what would go on to the NFL the year. Oregon should have been in the national championship game. Colorado had just beaten up on Nebraska, throttled them. Nebraska still got picked to go into the championship game, play against Miami, and Oregon got to go down and play in the Fiesta Bowl against Colorado and just beat up Colorado, um, a game where I think it was um, Maurice Morris, uh, was down, it appeared, mm-hmm. rolled over a guy's back, got up and kept running, one of those great moments. The win against uh, Florida State, Jameis Winston backpedaling, tripping, falling, and and uh, Tony Washington scooping that ball up and yep. going to the fans in the Rose Bowl, just going crazy. But I could go on and on, Zach. There's so many of those moments that um, it, you just you never forget. And they all, they all kind of fit in the same bowl. But to put one higher than the other, Maybe the Kenny Wheaton pick, you know, because it was a it was the first major moment for me. Absolutely, I love that. I, that's a I had never heard that Georgie story before. As you know, <laughs> close family friend with Georgie, he officiated my wedding, so I can't wait to see him and give him some crap about that. Oh, definitely do that. So, being on the call since 1987, you've seen the likes of Rich Brooks and Mike Bellotti, Chip Kelly, Helfrich, Cristobal, Taggart now Dan Lanning, you've had a lot of relationships with coaches during those 30 plus years. I talked to Georgie about this earlier this summer when I had him on the podcast, but what has your experience been like with Lanning? He's obviously different. He's younger, but how is he different in your eyes? And what's it been like working with him for now a little bit over a year? Well, he's, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to, to, to define um, greatness in a, in a person, in a coach. It's something you just sense or you feel, um, I, I thought that Rich Brooks was really, really, you know, a great coach. Uh, back in the day, hard nose, do it the right way, practice three times a day in the summer, you know, practice till you fall down. I mean, men were tough. I mean, you had to be tough. And, of course, the NCAA didn't have a lot of restrictions. So coaches were able to really put guys through the paces. And Rich was Rich was really good coach. I mean, that's why they got us to the Rose Bowl. Um, you know, I, after that, Mike Pilati was – uh, just a heck of a nice guy. 
and brilliant. I mean, he really did have a mind for coaching. And then each coach that came along, and I got along with every one of them so well because they treated me with respect. Um, I didn't hadn't really earned that respect, but I was part of the team in their eyes, and they treated me like that. And I, I really appreciated that. So I liked I loved all those guys, Rich and Mike. And when Chip came in, Chip was hard for some guys to get along with, but we got along <laughs> just fine. Mark Helfrich, maybe the nicest of them all, a kid who grew up in Washington or in Oregon down on the coast. I always say uh, North Bend, he's a Marshfield guy. Give, mm-hmm. give him, yeah, he, he didn't like that when you mentioned that North Bend stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, it, you know to, to Mario Cristobal, I mean, Willie Taggart, uh, we, you know, we, we had a good time together. Um, while he was here, he just wasn't here long enough to do anything. And then Mario is, I think, is going to be a great coach for his career's over. But when Dan Lanning came in, it was different. It was different than all those guys. And it's hard to, I, I told, told coaches when I met him the first time when I introduced him to the, the crew at the, at the HDC, talked to him for a little while afterwards. And I told him, up in his office later that week, I said, you know, coach, I had been entertaining ideas. My family's been trying to get me to retire. They want me to uh, spend more time with the family. And I, I uh, sort of started thinking about that and maybe they're right. Maybe I've been gone too much from them with the kids and all. And then I met Dan Lanning and I said, coach, there's something special about you. So I'm not going anywhere because I believe you're going to win a national championship at Oregon. And I want to be a part of that. So that's my feeling of Dan Lanning. I, he just has it. He's got an energy, edge, positive teacher. He's, he treats the media with respect. He treats the fans with respect, his players, his staff. He sees everything to me. That's awesome. I love that. Obviously, the landscape of college football has drastically changed uh, in front of our eyes, especially you know over the past month or so uh, for Oregon fans with the announcement of the move to the Big Ten. I'm not going to ask you to, you know, deep dive into all of the intricacies, but what are your general thoughts on the move? And specifically, what was your reaction like when you heard all of this was actually taking place? Well, Zach, shock because USC and UCLA hit it so well. They never did, you know, leak it out. And so when it dropped, it was like it dropped and we were not prepared for it, even beginning to think that it might happen. And it was a shock. It was a shock. Um, and then after the shock wore off, it was, okay, gosh, I, you know, what are we going to do to replace that recruiting bed in, in California? How, you know, we need to find a way to get somebody else down there. And, and then the other dominoes started to fall. They started talking mm-hmm. about maybe Arizona, Arizona State, Utah. Then Colorado did jump. And then it's, oh, mm-hmm. no, where's this going to end up? Uh, and then Oregon, and then, then we got the, you know, the offer of Apple TV, um, uh, the street, streaming platform, no, no television, real, real television. And that was like, you know, that's not going to work. You can't do that. There's not enough money. And then we realized what was going to happen. Uh, and it did. And, and the Pac-12, Oregon and Washington did what they had to do to survive. That, that's the future of college football. That is advance and survive. And if they don't advance, there, there weren't enough teams I didn't think left on the West Coast to rebuild that Pac-12 brand as strong as the Power Five Conference. And so um, Oregon State, Washington State, Stanford and Cal, the last four standing, they've got to end up somewhere too good of programs to not be where they need to be. So sad 
the history of the Pac-12. My gosh, that's just hard. It's still hard to stomach. But at the same time, the uh, tradition-rich history of the Big Ten, Michigan, Ohio State, and all that goes with it, and the new venues, I'm excited about that. that that's going to be fun. But it's um, it's it's going to be tough leaving the Pac-12. Yeah, absolutely. I've been I've been asked about this a lot, you know, over the past few weeks since it's happened, and it's I share that sentiment. It's it's really exciting. I mean, I can't wait yeah. for we're going to yeah. play in the Big Ten. It's going to be cool. We get to, I mean, it we will get be. to watch games in some of the the greatest venues in the nation. But it's also it's really sad and kind of frustrating. I feel so badly for Oregon State fans and Washington State fans, and um, you know players in the non-revenue sports and and families in the non-revenue sports who are going to have yeah. their lives completely changed because of this. But so it's a, an interesting kind of gray area where this all lands because there's a lot of positives and a lot of negatives. Um, let's talk about this 2023 season that kicks off on Saturday afternoon against Portland state. You've had the benefit of watching practices and scrimmages both in the spring and the fall. What stands out to you the most about this team compared to the team that you saw last year? Well, I think they're more comfortable with their coaching staff. Um, that first year, it's everybody getting uh, used to each other and knowing everybody and uh, understanding just little things like hand signals. And when a coach says something, what he means, how he means it. He means it this way. He's not upset. He's not mad. He's trying to coach you. Uh, he cares about you and he's trying to build this, this team and, and, I think the coaches would tell you that they had to get used to each other. So there is a familiarity with this team this year. It's running to me. It's smoother. It's, it's going faster. I think they're more ready at this point in the season to play a game, even though they've replaced a lot of people or there are not a lot of new people on this team, they still seem to be more in sync. So I think it's a team that's more ready to play because of that extra year of being together. Okay. You mentioned the new faces on this team between transfers and incoming recruits. Who are a few guys that you maybe have, have noticed on either side of the ball that you're most intrigued to finally see in some game action and not just in, in fall camp? Well, it's the returners. Um, I mean, there's some guys on that, on that team, the, the front offensive front. I mean, uh, when you lose Alex Forsythe, um, you lose a quarterback. Okay, that, that He's the quarterback of the offense. And, and that offensive line, and those guys are the key to uh, the running backs, the wide receivers, and the quarterback being successful. Without that offensive line, nobody else is really going to have the time to operate and do and maximize what they can do. Bo got sacked five times last year. A lot of that is Bo and his, his capability and just knowing what to do and when to get rid of the ball. But a lot of that was the offensive line just not letting guys get to him. So the O-line is what I'm looking at a lot, uh, probably more than anything else. I think uh, with four starters gone, I just look at Stephen Jones, uh, JPJ, Jackson Powers back, Marcus Harper the second, Josh Connerly. They, they all played in 13 games last year. So there's some experience back, more experience than people realize. They just haven't been together in that, that chemistry thing. Faiope uh, Laululu, um, Dave Luli. Uh, Johnny Cornelius transferred from Rhode Island, Charlie Pickard, Iapani Lalulu, and Kavika Rogers. There's a there's a bunch of guys there that we're going to have to see, and I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving some guys out. We're going to have to see how they do before we know what we got, how how much depth do we have. I think there's later nine right now that, that Will Stein feels comfortable with in that offensive line that he, he thinks he can rotate pretty well. 
Um, that's the biggest area I'm looking at, that offensive line. And if they if they can perform the way anywhere near the way last year's offensive line did, well, the weapons that Bo Nix has at his disposal, uh, Oregon's going to score a lot of points. I love that. I mean, we talked to Alik Terry, the offensive line coach earlier this camp, and we kind of asked him that question, you know, when you're, you're asked to perform at such a high level and to kind of be compared to that offensive line last year, how, how much pressure is that? He said, you know, that's, that's our standard. I mean, it's, we don't feel pressure because that's the standard we expect to perform that well each year. So um, I thought that was a really cool answer that they're, they're not feeling the pressure just to be as good as they were last year. They feel that pressure every year to be that good. Um, on a similar note, I know that a lot of fans have high expectations for some young guys who may have been on the roster a year ago and didn't see a ton of the field. I know you mentioned some of them on the offensive line. I have a couple of guys in particular that I'm looking at, but are there any who stand out to you that could have some big breakout years coming this year? Oh man, there's so many on this list and I'm still putting them together and learning them. I was looking for a depth chart yesterday so I could kind of see who they are putting, yeah, putting (laughs) in there and that's not coming yet. Um, Some of the transfers, um, you know, there's a couple of guys that I'm looking at, um, but for the most part, I, I know somebody will step in and surprise us and do something, but I, I've always been a guy that says, if you've played, you've had the experience, you've been in that game, you know, playing in front of Mo, what he expects. Those are the guys that are most important to me. So I haven't really focused on some of the new guys as much as maybe you have until I actually see them in a game situation. I want to see what they do in a game situation. So um, I, again, there, there could be 10 to 12 guys that are going to get that opportunity. But right now it's uh, it's the ones that have been there for me. I'll get you out on this. You obviously get to travel to every game. And as you are saying earlier, this is to be the last time traveling to some certain venues and playing against some certain teams with most teams headed in different directions after this year. So with that being said, which game or which venue or which team are you really looking forward to seeing the most potentially for the last time, whether it's a, a stadium or a team? Wow, that's a that's a tough question because I really enjoyed going everywhere. The one the one the one venue I did not enjoy going to was Arizona, the Wildcats. <laughs> yeah. And and the reason I didn't is really a kind of a respectful reason, is because mm-hmm. their fans are just tough to play in front of. They're the kind of fans that I hope Oregon fans make it tough on opponents when they come at Odson Stadium. But their fans are like mean. I mean, they get after you, and yeah. and there have been some games down there when the games appeared to be over. Oregon had maybe lost a game, and then there was a penalty or a play, and their fans rushed the field, and they're in our team's sidelines, and it's getting ugly. And then we realized there was a penalty, and all the fans are going to crawl back over the wall and go back up, and, and it just was – and that happened a couple, three different times, and it was just – you know, it's a tough place to play. Uh, so I'm I'm not going to miss going down to Arizona. And, and my, one of my best friends, Dave Hickey's the AD down there. And I do love seeing him and Liz and their family. But otherwise, no, not that. I'm going to miss going to Oregon State. I'm going to miss going to Pullman. I, I love Pullman. I'm a small-town guy. And there's an atmosphere in a small-town stadium that is just different than a 100,000-seat stadium. It's more personal, more family. I'll miss that. So, you know, this, the only one I'm – I'm really going to be happy not to have to go to is that long trip to to, to, to Tucson. That's the one that uh, everywhere else, even Husky Stadium, it's a beautiful setting. And it's even more beautiful when you beat the dogs up there. 
Yeah, you with Arizona, I think that's a great answer because there are some not so fond <laughs> memories for Oregon fans down there. Yeah. Um, for me, I know it's not a long history, but I, I'm definitely excited to to travel to Utah this year and to kind of get maybe one last game at Rice Eccles. Um, just such a, a beautiful venue and you know, a, a great fan base too. And I don't I don't know that Oregon fans are gonna be like like you said with Arizona, too disappointed to not have to play Utah anymore because the past few years have been a little up and down against them. But um, I know there's a lot of respect for for both fan bases between each other. So that's one I just I can't wait to go see that last game. Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate Utah's fans in a different way than I do um, Arizona's fans. Utah's fans are loud and proud, and they do the right thing the right way. They just make it tough. It's a beautiful <laughs> stadium. But they really get behind their team, and it's a loud, noisy, intimidating place to play. Uh, and it's fun going there because it's a challenge. I mean, I think any coach or any player will tell you they want to go play at, at the toughest places and put on their best game. And, and Utah is one of those venues where you want to go there and you want to take that game away from them and their fans. So I'll miss Utah because it is so beautiful. Salt Lake City is a great city, and and uh, Rice Eccles Stadium with a little Olympic history behind it. It's kind of a it's a place I'm going to miss. Absolutely. All right, Jerry. Thank you so much for coming on with me today and helping me preview the start of the season for the Ducks. I know that every Oregon fan will agree that uh, you know we can't wait to hear your voice on Saturday afternoon and, and kick off the season. I look forward to seeing you this weekend and, and kicking off another great season. So thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, Zach. Anytime. We can do this every day, every week, every month if you want to, as long as there's food involved next time, okay? <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll do the next one in person and I'll bring the dinner. <laughs> you got it. Thanks, buddy. All right. Thanks, Jerry. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you for tuning in and following along. Thank you again to Jerry Allen for coming on. As always, he brought some terrific insight into the program. As I record this, we are just a few days away from week one kicking off. I will have one more podcast coming out on Thursday morning, kind of wrapping up the week of practice, looking at the injury updates as we get uh, as we get going ahead concerning a couple of offensive linemen. We'll also have another big guest on, one of my favorite college football writers, so look out for that. Thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it at duckswire.usatoday.com. Follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. We'll talk to you guys later this week. Until then, take it easy.